please turn to the Gospel of John. I'm going to read from John chapter 13. John chapter 13, we'll pick it up in verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him, and that is why, he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we pray that as we come together and as we sit under your word, Lord, I pray that you would help me to communicate the words that you desire of me, that these may be that these may not be my words, but they may be your words. And Lord, we trust in your Holy Spirit and we pray that your Holy Spirit would give us understanding and make these words effective, Lord, a work that only he can do. We trust you, Father, for these things. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. One of the most unfamiliar characters in the New Testament and yet played such a significant role in the life of the church is Epaphroditus. And we read of Epaphroditus in Philippians chapter uh, 3, I think, 3 or 4. Epaphroditus was sent by the church in Philippi. To, and they were intending to, say, to, to send to Paul sort of what we would call a care package. And so Epaphroditus was entrusted with this mission to deliver these things to the Apostle Paul who was under house arrest in Rome. And the Apostle Paul tells us in Philippians, the letter of Philippians, that Epaphroditus, in his journey to deliver this package, became ill, in fact, to the point of death. But Epaphroditus succeeded in his mission, brought this package to the Apostle Paul, and in return, Epaphroditus was sent 
with a letter to the church in Philippi, which is the letter of Philippians that we have in the New Testament. Now, Epaphroditus, who is Greek, his name means belonging to Aphrodite, which is one of the Greek goddesses. In fact, Aphrodite is in his, is in his actual name. But what we see in his example is that this man did not belong to Epaphrodite, at least not anymore. He belonged to the Lord Jesus Christ. We see in him somebody who was faithful, self-sacrificial. We see the example of a servant. Even serving to the point where he was, where he could have died. But he continued in his mission and fulfilled, fulfilled what he was entrusted with. So this morning, as we continue to talk about the different marks of the church, we're talking about service or serving. What we see in the example of Epaphroditus is that this man had the heart of a servant. And we should look to Epaphroditus as an example of what it means to be a servant. But first and foremost, if, we are looked, if we're going to look to someone as an example of service and humility, then we look first and foremost to the example of Jesus Christ. So here in John chapter 13, actually taking into consideration the whole gospel of John, when John began by telling us of the pre-incarnate Christ who was before all things, who created all things, Jesus Christ who came into this earth, and, the, and so John tells us in chapter 21 that the reason why he wrote this letter is so that the reader may understand and know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And so in Jesus coming into the world and performing these different signs that we see in the Gospel of John, they're all intended to show us, to point to us, that, to, to the very fact, to the truth, that Jesus is the Christ, the very Son of God. And then shortly before what takes place in John chapter 13, we read of how Jesus enters into Jerusalem. The people are worshiping him. And shortly after that, we also read about how Mary comes to Jesus and she, and she uses this expensive perfumes and, pour, and pours it on Jesus. And she wipes the feet of Jesus with her hair, showing that this person is, before her is majestic, that this person is royalty, that this person is divine. And then we come to John chapter 13, and we see something that most people would not expect. And it happens at a specific time. The author tells us that this was before the feast of the Passover, that this was the hour, that is the last hour, the moment that Jesus was about, was about to enter into to, uh, to suffer and die on the, on the cross for the sins of his people. And also, this was at the right time when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas to betray Jesus. It was at this time, it tells us, that Jesus rose from supper. Not only that, but the, God, the, the Apostle John tells us that there's certain things that Jesus knew at this specific time. He knew of his divine supremacy, that is, that Jesus had all things in his hand. It tells us that Jesus knew that God had given all things into his hands. Everything belonged to Jesus Christ. Not only that, but Jesus also knew that he had come from God, pointing to his divine origin, and Jesus also knew of his divine destination, that Jesus was going back to God. 
So at this specific time, Jesus, knowing these things, he rises from supper and begins to serve his disciples. And also tells us, among all these other things, that Jesus also loved his own. He loved his disciples. So Jesus gets up and washes the feet of his disciples as an act of service because he loves them. Now, Christ didn't consider this act as being something demeaning or devaluing of his character, of his divinity. Right? Any, one of, any one of us might. Right? Because this to wash the feet of someone back then was the job of a servant or a slave. Because those feet were dirty. I mean, people didn't have clothed shoes. They would walk out in sandals, walking in the dirt. There were no such thing as paved roads. They were walking in the dirt, walking in the mud. And when you come into someone's home, well, then the slave would come and wash the feet of the guests of the host. Nobody else would do that, much less a teacher with his own disciples. Would anybody expect to get on his knees to wash the feet of his own disciples? But Jesus didn't, didn't see this as a devaluing or demeaning of his character, of his divinity. Jesus did not think that this was beneath him. Because moments before, we see that Jesus knew who he was, knew where he had come from, knew where he was going. He knew exactly who he was. And knowing who he was, that he was the Son of God, he didn't consider it beneath him to get to his knees and wash those dirty feet. Second to the cross, I think that this is probably the most explicit and tangible representation of the love of Jesus Christ. Because again, you would not expect that. This is the one that was being worshipped by the crowds, people lining the streets to worship him. This is the one that was honored by Mary and pouring that expensive perfume and washing his feet. This is the one who performed signs and miracles and provided for people. This is the one that John says is the pre-incarnate God who existed before all things. And here he is on his knees washing the feet of his disciples. Good stories are those that inflame in our hearts, that inflame our hearts with a desire to be like the noble characters that we read in the story. Whether it be the courage of the character, the kindness, the wisdom, and in this case, humility is what we see. When you're reading a good story, when you're reading the character of the protagonist of the story, you want, you, you're encouraged, you want to kind of emulate some of the things that this person, what makes this person such a good character. And we see here the humility of Christ and his example of service. And the point is not that we should be washing each other's feet. Now, you are free to do that if you so desire. If the other person will let you if you want to wash their feet. The Bible doesn't forbid us from washing each other's feet. But if you read this passage and you come away with the point or with the only point being that we are to wash each other's feet, then you're missing the entire point of this story, of this event. The point of this event, of this service, is to show the heart of Jesus Christ is to show that Jesus loved his disciples. There's a reason why John gave us certain details before Jesus rose from supper to wash the feet of his disciples. And that is to reveal the heart and the character of Jesus Christ. 
right? So the author gives us the time before the feast of the Passover, the last hour during supper, when Jesus had, or when Judas had settled to betray Jesus. He tells us of Christ's knowledge. He knew where he was coming from, where he was going. He knew that all things were handed to him. And so taking all these things into consideration, to see Jesus wash the feet of his disciples, show us the heart of Jesus Christ. That this is an example of love and humility. And so Jesus is saying, when he says to follow my example, he, essentially he's saying that he, I follow my, the example of my heart. Imitate my heart. Because if the master, right, who is greater than his students, shows such service and such humility to wash their feet, who are the students to think that they are greater, that they should not do likewise or show the same kind of humility and service? Mark 10.45 tells us, The Son of Man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's the, that's the gospel in a sentence right there. The gospel is about Jesus Christ, the Son of God, coming down to serve us to the point of death, even death on the cross. And so as a church, right, we should be marked by service, our serving one another. And we, to that, we look to the example of Jesus Christ. And looking also not only to the, the example of Jesus Christ, we not only look to, to, to model Jesus Christ and his example, but we also look to have the heart and the mind of Christ as well. Because if you're going to serve others, well, then you also must have the heart and the mind of Christ. You also must have humility because it takes humility to serve another individual, at least in the right way or with the right attitude. Because there are some, right, who will serve other people for recognition, for praise, for the attention of other people, but that's not what we are called to do as Christians. We are called to serve one another, even if it means that we are not recognized for our doing so. Hebrews 9.11 tells us, But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy of holies, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the, with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, Purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Christ entered into the holy of holies, gave his own blood to purify our conscience. And the reason why our conscience can be purified, the reason why we can be saved to the outermost through the blood of Jesus Christ is because Jesus' blood is pure, is divine, it is holy, unstained from transgression, unstained from disobedience, unstained from sin. His was a perfect blood who purchased for us a perfect redemption. And it purifies our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. 
the difference between the good works of a non-believer and the good works of a believer is that to the Lord, the good works of a believer, as good as they may be, of, of the good works of an unbeliever, no matter how good they are, the Lord still considers them dead works because they're not ultimately serving the living God. And that is what happens to the blood of Christ, that our, our conscience is purified, our heart is purified to serve the living God. And that there is now a desire to serve the living God. Rather than serve another person just, to the, just for the sake of serving or just for the sake of being nice or kind, as good and as wonderful as those reasons might be, Ultimately, the Christian serves because they are looking to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. And so whenever, whenever you sign up to bring a meal through a meal train, you're not just serving the person that you're bringing a meal to, but you're serving the Lord Jesus. Whenever you offer to watch someone's kids, you're not just serving the parents, but you're serving the Lord Jesus Christ. Whenever you decide to stack wood for somebody in the church, you are also serving the Lord Jesus Christ. Whenever you serve somebody by walking with them through suffering, you are also serving the Lord Jesus Christ. Whenever you grab groceries for somebody, pick up medicine for somebody who can't get out, you're serving the Lord Jesus. All those acts are ways of serving the Lord Jesus Christ. And so in our serving, where we look to the interests of others, because we aim to model the example of Christ and his humility. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking less about yourself. Do you understand the difference? Humility is not thinking less of yourself, as in, I'm I'm unworthy. I don't have anything to offer. What skills, what gifts, what talents do I have to serve my brothers and sisters, to serve the church, to serve my neighbors? What do I have? I am nothing. I am worthless. That is thinking less of yourself, and I would argue that that's unbiblical, that you don't have any kind of warrant in the scriptures to think of yourself that way. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking less about yourself, meaning that you're not the center of your, the world. And it's okay to think of yourself, right? Sometimes right, you have to take care of yourself, take care of your needs, take care of the needs of your family, but you're not just thinking about yourself, but you're thinking about others. You're looking out for each other's own interests. This is why Moses said, this that interesting passage so in, in Numbers, where Moses writes about himself that he's the mo most meek in the world, right? How do you uh, how do you say that you're how do you say I'm the most meek or I'm the most humble? It's a kind of an interesting passage, peculiar, kind of comical. But when you are the leader of an entire nation, I think you can say that you are you're the most humble because it takes an incredible amount of humility to lead an entire nation who are have a tendency to sin and to turn back from God, who are always complaining, complaining and, and, and moaning to you. So I would affirm that, yes, Moses, you are the most humble, the most meek person in the entire planet. But he could say that because he wasn't thinking less of himself. Right? When we, th when we think, of, think less of ourselves, we might say, like, no, I'm, 
I'm not worthy. I don't have an ounce of humility in my bones, which I, when I don't believe that's actually true. That's, not, that's a false humility. But humility is thinking less about yourself, not thinking less of yourself. Philippians tells us that we have the mind of Christ. Paul tells us, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And then he points to Jesus Christ and his serving us to the point of death, even death on the cross, pointing to the example of humility in Jesus Christ. So, right, so as a Christian, it's not hard for you to be humble and to serve because you already have the mind of Christ. Romans 12.3 tells us, by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, Everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. When I think of the gift of serving, right, and this is what Paul, I think, is going to, that there's particular, some who have a particular gift for serving. When I think of somebody who has a gift of serving, I think of somebody who, who, is just, who is just quick in picking up ways to serve people, that they just engaging in conversation with somebody and the person may not be intending to, to communicate or articulate different needs that they have, but just in listening to that person, they are able to just pick up, oh, that, this person could use this or this person, I should connect this person to this person or I should, be able, I should do this for this person. And they just think of unique ways to serve. They just are kind of, un, kind of unintentionally, but they just almost, almost have like an ear to listen for ways that they can serve. But as those kind of people, those kind of Christians are really gifted by the Lord because not everybody has that particular gift. However, just because you don't have the particular gift of serving doesn't excuse you from not serving. Or because we're called to have the mind of Christ, which, is, which we already have, and follow his example of humility. Peter, in his letter, 1 Peter 4, says in verse 10, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whatever gifts or talents or skills that you have, right, they are for serving the body of Jesus Christ. And Paul, I mean, Peter seems to imply that, well, if you are not using your gifts or talents or whatever it is you have to serve the body, then you're not being a good steward of God's very grace. And he concludes by saying, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. The beginning of Revelation, right, we have these letters to these seven churches, and these churches are known for something, but also known for something that's not good. In Revelation chapter 2, we read of the church of Theatera, who needs to make some very, very drastic changes. They've got some things going on that, that need to, they need to stop doing. 
but they're also known for something good as well. Revelation 2.10, it says, or sorry, 19, I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. This church had their issues, but the church knew them as a church of good works. They were known by their service. Right, so my prayer and hope that we as a church would also be known for our service and good works as well. That the Lord would look down on us and say that this is a church that serves. Right, and, it's, and it's part of our new nature as Christians, as those who have been born again through the blood of Jesus Christ or through our faith in him, that we have a heart of a servant. And so all we have to do is walk according to our new nature. Right, and people do serve, right? You do serve. I mean, just thinking about me and personally, if I was a, my, for my family, I mean, we've had people watch our kids. When we were sick, we had people go and grab medicine and food for us. We've had people even cut down a couple trees for us in our backyard. We have had people bring us dinner. We've had people just bring us sweets just because they thought of us. People text us. People encourage us. I've heard of people taking others to their appointments. I've heard of other people taking somebody out to lunch, of people going to somebody's home and taking care of something in their home that they don't know how to take care of or they don't have the strength to take care of. Right? Those are all acts of service that you and I continue to do and that they are acts of service that are done unto the Lord. And I know that it's... It's not always, it doesn't always come natural for us to think of ways to serve somebody or even just to think that I should serve somebody. And so that's why for now, like I'm, I'm giving you the permission to take out your phone. And if you need to set a reminder to, hey, I should, put a reminder, I should do something nice for somebody this, this week. Because sometimes, I mean, I know that life gets in the way, life happens, life just gets busy. And if you need to set a reminder, Right, to talk to this person or to send this person a card or you know that this person needs something done, set a reminder. Because we're called to serve, serve one another because ultimately we are looking to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible doesn't give us an exhaustive list of how to serve or what that looks like. Right, because that list would, be go, would go on and on and on and on and on. And the reason why a, such a list like that would be so long is because it is so easy to serve. It is so easy. Even just sending somebody a card or sending somebody an encouraging text message is a way of serving. The Christian whose heart is swelling with gratitude for what Christ has done for her on the cross, namely in rescuing her from the judgment of God, suffering an agonizing death by crucifixion to purchase her salvation, bleeding for the cleansing of her sins, buried in the ground in order to take her death upon himself, so that she could live and have eternal life through faith in him, will want to spend the rest of the life giving gratitude to the wonderful Savior by serving the Lord Jesus. And the Lord says, well, if you want to serve out of the gratitude that is swelling in your heart, if you want to serve me, then serve 
your brothers and sisters. Serve your neighbors, serve your coworkers, but especially serve the members of the body of Christ because to serve one another is to serve the Lord Jesus. So to include, in Mark 10, 35 to 45, I won't read the passage to you just cut up for the sake of time. But there in Mark 10, we have James and John who are requesting, making this request to Jesus. Jesus they say, we want you to, add, to, to grant to us what we request. And Jesus said, what is it? And they ask that they may be seated at the right hand and the left hand of Jesus when he's on his throne. And Jesus tells them two things. One, it's not his place to give those seats away. But he also says, are you able to take the cup that I am going to take? And they say, yes. And by cup, he means the suffering that he's called to endure. And they say, yes, we are willing. And Jesus says, yes, you are, you will. And if you know anything about church history, they did take that cup of suffering as they preached the gospel. And then the other disciples became indignant, right? They became a little jealous. They became a little infuriated because who are they to ask for such a prominent position? We should have that. I should be next to Jesus in his throne. But Jesus then concludes that conversation by talking about serving, that if you want to be first, you've got to be last. If you want to be first, then you've got to be the servant of all. Essentially, what James and John were looking for, what they were asking for, what they were asking was the glory without working for it. But Jesus shows us in his life that even he did not receive the glory without working for it, without suffering for it, without serving and dying for that glory. And there's nothing wrong. There wasn't even essentially nothing wrong with a request. There is nothing wrong in our pursuing glory and honor. In fact, it tells us in Romans chapter 2 that those who by patience in well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, they will receive eternal life. It tells us in Romans 2 that one way that you seek for that glory and honor is by well-doing, that is doing good. And you do good by serving. So it's not wrong to desire to be honored, to be glorified, to be praised in heaven by the faithful master who is waiting for us. I don't know about you, but I want to be, I want to be rich in heaven. <laughs> not because I love material blessings, but because that's what Jesus promises those who work here in the world, that they will be richly rewarded and those who are richly rewarded are those who serve, who think less, of, think less about themselves and think about others. Because that's what Christ did. Whenever we serve, we are serving the Lord Jesus. It's why Jesus says to those who he receives, when they are, and they are surprised, when, when Jesus says to those that he receives, he says to them, You've, you've gave me food, you've gave me drink, you've clothed me. And they say, Lord, when did we ever do that? When did we give you drink? When did we ever give you food? When did we ever come and visit you? And Jesus says, when you have done it to the least of these, you've done it unto me. 
right, to, so to give one another a cup of water when we're thirsty, to provide a meal for our brother and sister, is to provide a meal to the Lord, is to give a cup of water to the Lord Jesus. That's how Jesus views serving. To serve others is to serve him. And serving, again, is so easy. There's so many different ways to serve. Right? If you're looking for ideas, I mean, there's ways to serve here in the church, serve in the nursery. We're always looking for nursery. Devin and I are not, we don't have a particular theological or philosophical conviction that leads us to think that there should be only one person here on Sunday morning to lead in time of worship, right? If you want to serve in that way, if you can sing, if you can play an instrument decently, this is a tangible way to serve. There are multiple and multiple ways to serve the body of Christ. You just have to give it some time to think. We learn from the scriptures that our deeds here do matter in eternity. Whatever we do here for one another actually matters in eternity. And so let us serve. Let us continue to serve. Let us look for new ways to serve others. Let us go out of our way to serve one another. Following the example of Christ. Christ. 